Welcome to Victory Church Podcast. At Victory, we are committed to connecting people to God, His church and their purpose. For more information, visit victorychurch.net.au. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. Today I get to finish this series and we're going to talk about the tormented soul. Ooh, the tormented soul. Because the reality is, is that we all deal with torment in our lives from time to time. I remember the first time in my life that I had to deal with this torment. And it was when I was at school. I was in my early teenage years. I loved school. I know that that's not many people's reality, but I thrived in that environment. I loved maths. Woohoo! I loved science. I would like to say I was a geek, but that's not true. I still am a geek. I loved school, I loved the environment, I loved learning. What I didn't like was the trip to school. You see, I lived on a farm in a small country town, and every morning this big, ugly yellow bus would come around and pick us up. And for 45 minutes we had to sit on that bus because it's a bus, it's not a car. A car takes you where you want to go. A bus takes you everywhere else and then to your destination. And so we got on this bus and for 45 minutes we did this big loop around before we finally got back to the school. I hated that bus trip because there were three people on that bus that didn't like me. Now, I don't know why. I reckon I'm pretty awesome. All right? I think I'm all right. But there were three people on that bus that not only didn't like me, but they didn't like my family. And so they took great pleasure in telling me what they didn't like about me and my family. But not just telling me, they took great pleasure and delight in inflicting pain on me. Oh. I remember the thumbtacks being embedded into the seat so that when you sat on it, ooh, that smarted. I remember the ear flicks. I remember the smack up the side of the head. I remember the taunts, the torment. And if that wasn't bad enough, it wasn't what happened to me, it was what was happening in me that brought the torment. You see, every time that big yellow bus came past, I knew what was coming. And I knew, I was, I was unsettled. I didn't want to get on the bus. I wanted to get to school because I loved it, but I didn't want to get on the bus, which was my only way of getting to school. The torment that they brought was amazing. Now, the reality is, is that I'm no longer in that place. Physically, I'm no longer on that bus, which is a good thing because a 45-year-old on a big yellow bus going to school just looks weird, right? 
But more than that, mentally, I'm no longer in that place. You see, it's a situation that never actually resolved. It's a situation that we didn't get the opportunity to sit around a table and go, hey, look, when you do that, it makes me feel like this, and it never happened. And yet, through the Holy Spirit, through God's power, through good counsel, that torment is no longer a reality for me. We all experience torment from time to time. And the battlefront is in our soul. The battlefront is in our mind and in our emotions. And we face this torment from three different sources. And I want to look today at the solutions for the torment from those three different sources. The first source of the torment that we need to be aware of is that we are tormented by the devil himself. You see, the reality is, is that we have an enemy. And the Bible describes that enemy as our adversary, as a slanderer, the accuser of the brethren. He's a liar and the father of lies. He's a deceiver. He's a murderer. He's a destroyer. He's the personification of all evil. And compared to a roaring lion and a dragon. Oh, wow. Really? But the reality is, is that we can overcome the devil. Why? Why does the devil torment us? Why does he hate us? What have I done to him? See, Satan's hatred for me isn't necessarily about me. You see, Satan hates God. God loves me. Therefore, Satan hates me. It's not about me personally. It's about the God that lives in me that Satan wants to destroy. And so we always need to remember that this isn't exactly personal. We experience it personally, but it's because of God himself, the same God that strengthens us to resist. You see, even though the Bible describes Satan as a murderer and a deceiver, a liar, if he just came to us as those things, we'd go, ah, I recognize you. I know what to do here. But the reality is, is that he usually comes as a friend and he usually comes just close enough so that he can stick a knife in the back. You see, I think that Satan is the best salesperson ever. You see, when Satan comes to us and when he tries to torment us, when he tries to tempt us, it's all upside. It's all, hey, you can have. But the hook is never mentioned. You see, right back in the Garden of Eden, The first interaction we see with Satan and humans. God created this perfect place, the Garden of Eden. He created the animals perfect. He created Adam and Eve perfectly. And then Satan comes along and says, Hey, did God 
say anything about, you know, not eating from anywhere in the garden? Yeah, he did. Huh. Why did he say that? Why, why, would he, why would this great God, this perfect God, why would he hold something back from you? Why? Why wouldn't he want you to experience all of the freedom that's here? Oh, I think, I think, I think, I don't think God's your friend. You see, a friend wouldn't hold something back from you. I think, I think he's just scared. I think God just doesn't want you to have this fruit because he knows you'll be like him. And Eve is sitting there going, yeah, why wouldn't God want me to be able to do anything I wanted? Why would God hold something back from me? Why wouldn't God want me to be like him? And the temptation that was ultimately succumbed to led to the torment that we all feel. You see, Satan came as the greatest salesperson all upside. What'll it cost you? Don't worry about the cost. It's only everything you've got. You see, we need to realize the devil for what it is, what he is, for who he is. And we need to learn to take our stand. How do we stop the devil's torment? Have a look at James 4. It says, so humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come close to God and God will come close to you. How do you, with, how do you stand up to the devil's torment? The first thing you do is you stay close to Jesus. Quite often we get into arguments about, oh, how far is too far? How close can I get to the electric fence? Do you want to stop the torment? Because to stop the torment, stay close to Jesus. The closer you are to Jesus, the harder it is for Satan to get a wedge in. The closer you are to Jesus, the more you're going to be able to recognize when Satan comes. Stay close to him. The second thing we need to do, resist. Resist the devil. I think we have a wrong idea of what resistance looks like. You see, I think we put resistance into the context of resisting a donut. You see, if someone was to come and offer me this donut, my first reaction would be, no, thank you, I'm trying to lose some weight. But it did look good, right? It did, it did, it, it, it did, it did look okay. It, Oh, oh, it, no, 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 no. It did, but it did, it, it did look good. It did look good. 
did look good. It, it smelled good. It, 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 it did smell good. It... Oh, it, it did. It, 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 it did smell good. It, it did. Oh, it tastes good. Oh, it tastes. It tastes. Tastes so good. Oh. Oh. There would be. We think that's resisting. We have this idea of resistance being passive. I'll just stay here, and when the devil comes against me, I'll, I'll, it'll be fine, I'll just stay here. No, we need to get active with our resistance. We need to think of resistance not like the donut, but we need to think of resistance like World War II resistance. Every occupied country had a resistance there. People behind enemy lines, people who were actively taking the fight to the enemy. We need to go, okay, resist the devil. Resist the devil. Resist doesn't look passive. Resist is active. Get this thing out of here. If we are going to truly resist, if we're truly going to get rid of this torment that the devil wants to bring to us, get active. Get on the front foot. Don't be passive. Don't be back-footed. But take the fight to where the fight is. The first area that we're tormented in, or first source we're tormented in, is by the devil. The second source of our torment comes from the world. What do I mean by the world? I mean anything that is in your world. You see, I'm married, I love my wife, but there are times when I torment her. I have these kids, I love them dearly, but there's still a level of torment. My work, the pressures that come, the finances, the things that want my attention, anything in this world brings a level of torment. Why does it bring a level of torment? Because our spirit is in us saying, hey, don't give in to that. The battle is within us. I speak with a number of people who keep saying to me, hey, I've just got too much on my plate right now. I keep getting pulled and pushed and all this stuff is, keeps coming at me. It's the torment that the world 
brings. You see, the battle when it comes to the world is for our worship. Are we going to worship God? Or are we going to give in to the torment and worship something else? Have a look with me at Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 16. It says, So do not corrupt yourselves by making an idol in any form, whether of a man or a woman, an animal on the ground, a bird in the sky, a small animal that scurries along the ground, or a fish in the deepest sea. And when you look up into the sky and see the sun, moon, and stars, all the forces of heaven, don't be seduced into worshipping them. The Lord your God gave them to all the peoples of the earth. If I asked you who's got an idol here, most of us would go back to this type of scripture and go, well, I don't worship a bird, I don't worship a fish, I don't worship a serpent, there's nothing scurrying around that I like to worship, seriously. <laughs> Sun, star, moons, nah, don't, don't worship them, I don't have an idol. All of those things are the example that was used. The key word here is seduced. And the question is, what are you seduced by? Because what you are seduced by can end up in the number one spot in your life. And if you allow that to happen, you've created an idol whether you meant to or not. And so the question is, what are you seduced by? Is it the car? Does the car take your attention? Is it the thought of, oh, new rims? That'd be all right. So I need to, I need to go and work harder, save up all my money, buy new rims. Now that it's looking better, needs to go faster. So I'll save up all my money again and I'll do some engine modifications. And all of a sudden, what starts as a good thing takes the place of God. And we lose the battle for our worship. It could be a house. Same scenario applies. How about your kids? I love my kids. They're really important to me. But when they take a primary place, they become an idol. It's not that they're trying to be idols. I've put them in that place. And so therefore, I need to deal with it. How about your miracle? Has your miracle become your idol? How many things have you prayed for for years and then God comes through and it's amazing. And so we spend all of our time, energy and effort in making the most of the miracle instead of making the most of God himself, the one who gave us that miracle. Are you being seduced? How do you know? Ask 
the three, these three questions. How do I spend my time? Because if you're spending all of your time in one area that's not God, you could have an idol. How do I spend my money? If all my money is going to one thing at the expense of God, I might have an idol. What is the topic of conversation that always keeps coming up? Because maybe there's an idol. How do you deal with an idol if you've got one? Well, Gideon was in a place where God was speaking to him. And God said to him, you know what? To deal with the idol of your father, go and tear it down. Those big Asherah poles, cut it off at the base. Take it out of your life. Great. What's the context for today? Because these children that I've got, I can't just go and cut them out of my life. Sorry. Not sorry. Reprioritize what's in front of you. Whatever it is that's taking the place, the primary place, reprioritize it. Move it further down the list and make sure that God is always in that number one spot. In John 16, 33, Jesus said, I've told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. The world is relentless. It keeps coming at us. But Jesus has overcome the world. But it even gets better than that. Because when Jesus left this earth, he brought the Holy Spirit to us. And just as Jesus has overcome this world, the Holy Spirit is here to help you overcome your world. Allow the Holy Spirit the access that he needs to come in and to help you reprioritize, to help you have the conversations that you need to have to make sure that God is in that number one position. We're tormented by the devil, but if we stay close to Jesus and we resist, God gives us the power to do so. We're tormented by the world, but God's given us his Holy Spirit to settle us and to overcome what's in our world. The third area that we get tormented is by ourselves. We torment ourselves all the time. You see, there's a saying out there to live with no regret. And it's a great saying, and I love the thought, but often it doesn't work out that way in my life. You see, what I've worked out about me is that I am my own worst enemy. Yeah. 
When I don't live up to the expectations that I put on myself, lots of eyes here, right? When I don't live up to the expectations that I put on myself, I beat myself up. When things aren't quite going right for me, I'll stop, I'll look, I'll think, I'll analyse, I'll overthink, I'll overanalyse, I'll overthink, I'll overanalyse, I'll, de- I'll dissect that conversation until I get it down to the tone of that word. If I just, that word, if I just said this instead with this tone, maybe. And what I'm doing is tormenting myself. See, Pastor Tony spoke a couple of weeks ago and he spoke about the difference between guilt and condemnation. You see, guilt is a good thing. It's the mechanism by which God gets our attention to say that we've done something wrong. Condemnation is not a good thing. Condemnation is when doing something wrong becomes, I am wrong. It's from doing something bad to, I am bad. And the torment that comes that I bring upon myself is because I condemn myself. I don't allow the grace of God to say, hey, it was a bad thing, but it's redemptive. I don't allow the grace of God to come in and say, it's okay, just get forgiveness. Speak to the person and move on. For me, it becomes a character issue. I condemn myself because I am bad. And if I am bad, then I can't change. And if I can't change, I'm destined to repeat this thing forever. And if that's going to happen, then what am I doing? Anyone else there? What I've realised is I'm really good at doing Satan's job for him. You see, Satan is revealed as the accuser. And when I accuse myself, Satan doesn't have to. See, all Satan needs to do to me is drop in a thought and allow that thought to spiral until... I condemn myself. The biggest area that we torment ourselves is the lies that we believe. You see, it's bad enough when the lies are out there. It's bad enough when you have to wade through the lies. But when you believe the lie, when the lie is in here, the torment doesn't stop. See, in Romans 8, it says there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. So if there's condemnation in you, it's come through a lie. There's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. So if I'm feeling condemned, I need to release that because it's not true. It's not my identity. Earlier this year, I found myself in this position. I found myself in a spot where I felt like I'd stagnated. 
I found myself in a spot where I felt like I, everything I touched was not going well. You know, some days everything you touch turns to gold. Yeah, this wasn't one of those seasons for me. You see, what had happened was, was that because I was not feeling where I should be feeling, I was, what I was feeling was frustrated and annoyed. And in that frustrated state, everything I touched was with these hard hands. And I was strangling the life out of things, trying to make it work, and they didn't. So what happened? It fed back into my frustration. I'm feeling frustrated, now I'm more frustrated because what I was trying to do to release my frustration is frustrating me. What the? What am I meant to do here? I seriously got to a point where my self-talk was saying, you know what? Maybe ministry's not for you anymore. Maybe you shouldn't be doing this, you fraud. No. Yes, not yet, no. What? I had great people around me. People who could see what I was going through. People who were trying their best. People who were, you know, they, they were saying to me, hey, look, Ashley, your thinking's not right here. I know! <laughs> Help me get it right! But that's frustrating me! I was talking to a real close friend of mine, just saying, hey, look, is my race done here? Am I finished here? Is this the end for me? I was saying to him, you know what? I don't doubt God's power or ability, but I do doubt mine. And this friend looked me straight in the eye and he said, well, boo-hoo! I'm just going to start calling you Moses. What? I'm pouring my heart out here. I'm frustrated. What's going on? But then the penny dropped. There was that light bulb moment. You see, in Exodus 3, God is calling Moses out of the burning bush. For 40 years, he'd been tending sheep. And God gives him this amazing call. God says to Moses, I need you to bring my people out of Egypt. What did Moses do? The Bible says that he didn't actually just argue with God. The Bible says he protested. Now, I don't know what you think that looks like, but for me... That's a, there ain't no way, God, that that's going to happen. And Moses started throwing all of the excuses. Moses said, who am I to do that? Who should I say sent me? What if they don't listen to me or believe me? I can't. I'm not good with my words. And then even after all of that, Moses still said, nah, send someone else. I can't do that. And yet when he submitted and God equipped, he led the Israelites 
out of Egypt and he saved a nation. You see, the lie that I was believing was very much the same lie that Moses was believing. It was the lie that God couldn't work through me. That lie was tormenting me. If you asked me directly to my face, do you believe God can? Absolutely, I believe God can. And yet behind the scenes, there was that hook that was tormenting me. Church, what lie are you believing today? What's the lie, that hook that's got you? Ash, you don't know what I've done. I'm not, God can't forgive me. It's a lie. Wake up, put it aside. It's not the truth. Oh, I'm worthless, I can't. No, no, it's a lie. Put it aside. Get into the truth. Oh, but God, I just can't. Yes, you can. It's a lie. Put it aside. Don't let yourself torment you. How do we deal with this? You see, the battle when it comes to ourself is for our identity. And you are not what you say you are. You are what God says you are. And it's on His Word that we need to stand. You see, in John 15, it says, I am Christ's friend. In Romans 6, I've been set free from sin. In Romans 8, I'm a son of God and I share in Christ's inheritance. 1 Corinthians 3, I'm a temple, the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. I'm a new creation. I'm a saint. I am righteous. I am holy. John 3.16 says, I am loved. How do we deal with this torment? We overwhelm it with the truth of God. Thank you for taking the time to listen. If you have any questions, please email us at admin at victorychurch.net.au. 